This morning I want to continue with the exploration of how to be skillful with conflict. And we've looked at that uh, the last three times. I think this may be the last time for a little while that will, although the themes will come in invariably in other, other explorations, but we've been looking at how to be skillful with conflict, how to connect our mindfulness practice, our inner work with being skillful with conflict, whether an inner conflict, an interpersonal conflict, or a social conflict. And this inquiry was in part inspired for me by coming back from being in uh, Israel and also making a trip to the West Bank in uh, July and August and really asking that question, how can, in this case, a very uh, seemingly intractable conflict be uh, resolved, which would do so much for the well-being of the planet. Right? And um, so partly inspired by that, partly uh, just knowing that this is such an important area for ourselves. and. At the beginning, I want to again um, clarify how I'm understanding uh, conflict in two ways that are not typical. One is that I'm looking at conflict as uh, not necessarily negative. And one of the areas that we've looked into is the conditioning that we all have around the word like conflict. And we looked, we've looked the last few times and seen Yes, we have uh, connotations of conflict as negative, involving anger, violence, hatred, acting out, all sorts of generally unpleasant things. Looks like my various handouts on the table are, are returning to the earth. <laughs> so, thank you. And so uh, we, we, we typically have this association that part of the inner work with conflict is to notice what our conditioning has been around conflict. And I want to define conflict more as the presence of a difference of values, a difference of positions, a difference of needs. Uh, might be a, a difference, might be a tension, could even seemingly be hard to know how to bring them together. But that way of understanding conflict a little more neutrally can help us to have more interest in conflict, given the very widespread conditioning to see conflict as negative. Right? And I'll come back to that in various ways. And the other way that I'm approaching conflict is to see conflicts in that sense as being there on many different levels. We can have an inner conflict. Inner conflict can be, uh, what should I do Wednesday morning? Should I come out to Spirit Rock? There was a weather report of possible rain. Should I have ease and relaxation on the one hand? Or should I come for tremendous edification through the <laughs> amazing teachers and group that's at Spirit Rock. Could be that, right? Could be a you know, very dramatic conflict and you resolve that in one particular way. So we can have an inner conflict like that. We can have a conflict of what to do, 
um, uh, should I uh, should I go to the birthday party or go to the uh, day long on climate right you know that could be that could be see uh, when we when we approach as a conflict what uh, what we do is we can actually and we'll, we'll explore this in a little bit of detail a little later is that we start to look uh, away from the different positions and we look for the deeper values or needs that are beneath the positions so my going to the birthday party that was just my action that's as it were a position but the deeper value or need was to really we might say affirm the friendship right to really value the friendship and that uh, particularly because uh, I knew that I could hear the recording of the event later <laughs> and it actually was important to me because I'm uh, probably going to be teaching some on climate issues in October right so it was important to me to hear that so uh, having more information clarifying the underlying needs I could work out what we would call a both and resolution of the conflict where I didn't have to you know a lot of conflicts are feel bring tension because we think oh it's either this or that either I meet this need or I meet that need and again what we're looking for is a way to get beneath the position look at the underlying need and see if there's a both and resolution in which both needs are met and that can be again an interpersonal individual inner conflict it can be an interpersonal conflict that we have it can be a larger social conflict you know in which I think that kind of looking helps to get beyond a lot of the newspaper headlines or the particular positions or the particular pain that makes often conflict so hard to work with because that when there's a lot of pain it's very hard to listen to what the other person has to say or to value it at all and so those two dimensions of conflict are important to name uh, right at the beginning and so uh, what I've done in the first three sessions is that I've identified three core resources in which we connect with what we might call our spiritual practice our mindfulness practice other dimensions of it with being skillful with conflict and I want to do a brief review of those three resources and then bring in a fourth resource today okay that will that will explore so and it's really good to keep these in mind and maybe even before I start let me invite you to bring to mind a conflict that you have maybe that's there right now uh, could again be a more of an inner conflict should I stay in this job or not stay in this relationship or not uh, you know, could be what I'm doing this evening <laughs> doesn't have to be it can sometimes be helpful if you choose one that's not the hardest on a scale of one to ten choose something in the middle sometimes the you can get practice and then later bring the skills or resources you have to the harder conflict that's generally a good uh, learning strategy okay so just think of a conflict right now and this is this will just be for yourself 
even bring to mind some of the dynamics, if it's maybe an interpersonal conflict, some of the difficult moments, maybe your own views. Some of the emotions that have been there. Could be anger or frustration or sadness or anxiety. And some of the mental states that have been there, maybe like particularly being judgmental or maybe being caught in a, a narrative that you repeat over and over to yourself. And then also ask, what's it like in the body? Sometimes conflictual situations can bring out quite difficult physiological states. We get activated. We may be very wired. Some of the emotions can be very intense with the body. What are some of the body states you experience with this particular conflict? And then keep that conflict in mind as we look at the different resources. And we'll come back, uh, come back some to uh, your own particular conflict. It can be very helpful in uh, the exploration. So the three resources. The first resource, it's really a uh, collection of resources. It's using our own mindfulness practice, our work to develop uh, heart practices like compassion or loving kindness or gratitude or forgiveness, that there are a whole set of inner practices that we can use when there are conflicts. That can be very, very helpful. We have this range of practices which is most often the focus of our talks and explorations here at Spirit Rock. And we again can develop mindfulness and uh, very helpful for noticing what comes up when there's conflict and very helpful for noticing all of the dimensions that we pointed to just now, right? And we can actually be mindful and use that to hang out with the difficult emotions to really catch when there are repetitive uh, views that come up, narratives. When, I have, when, when I'm judgmental after a difficult interaction, when I'm judgmental of that person 65 times in my half hour sitting. <laughs> Mindfulness, if it's highly developed, will catch that. <laughs>
you know, but, but such is the power of reactive states that we might not notice it for a while. I mean, we get just very, very, uh, what, caught or uh, staying with. The energy can be very strong. And so inner work of, of a few different kinds is very crucial. Mindfulness, being skillful and knowing how to work with difficult emotions is a very crucial capacity that we'll look at in a little more depth later is what do we do when we notice repetitive judgments in the sense of being judgmental or repetitive views and they can you know in a different in a conflict they can just take us over we're just staying with and repeating those views or judgments over and over again mindfulness first of all catches it but a very skillful practice can be when i notice repetitive thoughts bringing the attention into the body and into the emotions into the body, what we often discover is that there may be the emotions of anger, frustration, fear, sadness, and actually to touch those is very, very helpful. In many ways, being dominated by the views or narratives makes it actually hard to touch the emotions and hard to touch the body, and it can be very skillful and just to know this is quite painful. We know that in a certain sense, but to actually touch it is a way to have things move through so that we're not so reactive. And the understanding is that when we're reactive, we're typically not going to be so skillful. We're going to just do something more habitual and automatic the other person will very possibly or likely do something automatic, habitual, if we're thinking of a two-person conflict. How many of your conflicts of an interpersonal nature have that uh, rhythm? Two people being reactive, automatic, it goes around in a circle. Anyone, really, anyone notice that? <laughs> very, very common. We could also see that dynamic between Republicans and Democrats, <laughs> right? In fact, we have to look no further than today's newspaper, right? You know, and so forth. So we have our, our practices. The mindfulness can notice that. The work with difficult emotions can be skillful. So that, again, the optimum is we can we move to a non-reactive place and respond. It doesn't mean we forget what happened. doesn't mean we just try to be passive. doesn't mean we dismiss something that was not okay. doesn't mean any of those. Those would be misunderstandings of being non-reactive. Non-reactive means that we can come from a place of more balance and equanimity and be skillful. Being skillful sometimes means talking and being quite strong and saying that was not okay. Right? And of course that's not easy in a conflict situation. We're prone to be judgmental and that will tend to keep the loops going, going on. So there's a whole set of inner resources and we'll come back to one of them will be the fourth resource that I'll be talking about. 
a whole set of inner resources. One thing yeah, I was just going to mention is that we not only work with challenging states in our inner work, but we also deliberately cultivate positive states. We may cultivate, especially what we call, what I like to call, and others call the heart practices, developing compassion, which might be let us actually understand the other and feel the pain that's there for both of us, which will tend to soften that polarization that's often there with conflict. Generally, we want to have our inner practices see if they can work through the typical polarization of two sides or two choices, which can be there also for an inner conflict. We can have these dynamics also be there for an inner conflict if we look carefully. And so we can do practices like forgiveness, which can have tremendous value. And again, we've looked at the, these, these practices in more depth at other sessions. And there are the resources on the website Dharma Seed uh, in which those sessions are recorded. If you wanted to look in more depth, you could look for guidance on compassion practice, forgiveness practice, and so forth. I think uh, three years ago, I did a series of 11 talks on how to be skillful with a judgmental mind. So those are there. Most of you have worked through all that, so that's why I don't talk about this recently, but might bring how many of how many would like to bring back that topic at least occasionally? Okay. okay. So that's the first really it's really a collection of resources that different kinds of inner resources that help us to be more and more non reactive, skilled, balanced, and equanimous in the midst of a conflict. And, then, and that really helps us to work with further resources. The inner resources being utilized really make it possible to use the further resources. So the second resource that we looked at particularly, I think, two times ago is an approach which comes really from the work of peacemakers, mediators, negotiators, which is this perspective of aiming to reach a both-end resolution of a conflict. And I want to, again, uh, broaden that to point to the inner conflict. Like we went through some examples, like my inner conflict, should I go to the birthday party or to the climate day long, right? And, uh, or should I stay in this relationship or not? Uh, more of an inner conflict or an interpersonal conflict or a social conflict as well that this um, approach, which we could call the both-and or the win-win model of conflict transformation. And people uh, often use the word conflict transformation rather than conflict resolution to point to the, the uh, reality that often some of the same conflictual material may still be there. We don't necessarily fully resolve conflicts. We may better learn how to work with them skillfully. And that could especially be the case with interpersonal or social conflict. So a lot of people use the term conflict transformation. And so this model of both end is something we have to really train with. And you might even reflect uh, on your own conflict in this light, because the 
approach. is to recognize that in any given conflict there are five different possibilities and uh, one of the things the model does is it lets us look at these options and brings about much more creativity. To be skillful with conflict we have to let the creative mind have room. One of the difficulties of conflicts is that when we're stuck in them they shut down creativity. We get polarized. and We often hear the term that there's a failure of imagination in many situations. We get locked into a view. We have difficult emotions. In that situation, very, very hard to be creative. It's actually very hard to be skillful. That's why we need the inner practices to let us even have the possibility of looking at something creatively. Can't be creative when you're really reactive. Right? And so we need those other inner practices especially. So the both end or win-win model says there are five different possibilities. And we and uh, for the on the uh, Dharma Seed website from two times ago, which I think was August twenty eighth, if you look under my name, I included the handout that explains this model. On the it's on the website, so you can get that if you wish. Go to Dharma C D H A R M A S E E D. dot org. Go to teachers. Look under my name, Donald Rothberg, still my name, and and then go to uh, it's arranged chronologically, and you can go there and look for a PDF file, and then you can just uh, download it. Okay. That has the summary of this model in, in more depth than I'm going to give. But it says that conflicts are typically structured dualistically. There's a winner and loser. That's the usual structure of conflict. And I, as I mentioned uh, last two times, that's supported by many aspects of our culture. I mentioned professional sports as contributing to this model of there's a winner and a loser. And you know, I'm not totally against that in professional sports. I'm just noticing it. You know, and I have mentioned a few times the fact that it's, it's particularly interesting that in professional football, uh, if there's a tie, one goes to sudden death. <laughs> interesting terminology, right? Have a conflict. We're not going to have a tie and we're not going to meet the needs of both sides. We're going to go to sudden death. Okay, so that's that's what we would call a dualistic model. And I also mentioned it's there very much in the adversarial legal system, which could be otherwise. It could be different. So probably can look to many aspects of culture and see that they support a dualistic approach to conflict. So it's deep in our culture, deep in our conditioning, right? Not easy to work with conflict in a different way because of all of this. Um, and so we can see that many conflicts, maybe most, are presented as if there has to be a winner and loser. Either one side wins or the other side wins. And this is with a, a simple conflict with two sides. Some conflicts have six sides. Okay, but I'm talking or, you know, they have six people involved can get very complex. But I'm simplifying to talk about a conflict with two sides, let's say two, two positions, and they're, they're often presented as if the only option is for either one position to win or the other. And a lot of our own inner conflicts are like that. 
Interpersonal conflicts seem to be like that. Social conflicts seem to be like that. Conflicts between countries seem to be structured like that. The model says, always remember there are three other options. And generally, it's helpful to move away from a dualistically structured conflict to one of these three. And one of them is avoiding the conflict. This is helpful when people are really actively negative towards each other or when there are two sides that are doing it. In between, when there is violence, this is called a ceasefire. That is a good move. Right? So avoiding the conflict is sometimes very skillful, having a cooling out period and so forth. And then a further, more advanced possibility is a compromise. And again, sometimes a compromise is the best that one can do in a given moment. Those trained in this approach to conflict always have their eyes on the both end. That's like the North Star. But you can't always get there right away. Sometimes you need to do other things. Sometimes you need to hold the vision of that being possible if you're a mediator, but say what is possible in this moment, and then you go for avoidance or compromise. And maybe two years later, you get the both end. It's like that sometimes, right? Right. So, what you, what one tries to do, is to have a sense of distinguishing between the positions which are connected with the uh, either or, and ask what is the underlying interest or need that is beneath the position, right? Right. So we have a potential conflict now <laughs> arising that I am feeling a few drops. And I'm right now going to keep on talking and avoid the conflict. <laughs> we may need to do a compromise a little bit later. Okay. okay. So those of you, I don't know weather report, those there's room and some of you can find a way. So what we're looking for is a way to meet the needs on both sides, as it were. So, so this is very good. I arranged with the weather to present an actual conflict in the moment, because that's much better to work with than me just talking. So you, you see the immediate creativity said, if, some, if the people in the front row could move a little bit forward, people in the back would have space under the canopy. So this reminded me of something that I think I talked about this, something that happened in my trip to Israel in the West Bank. I was actually, uh, I gave a talk in Jerusalem and I gave them a choice of six topics. One of them was being skillful with conflict. And they said, do that. So there I was in Jerusalem giving a talk. And I said, it feels like a chutzpah to do this giving a talk on how to be skillful with conflict. And in the middle of the talk, someone started to interrupt me. Okay, And um, actually wasn't hostile to what I was saying, but I'm not exactly sure what was going on, but was just someone wanting to speak up a lot and spoke up probably 15 times. And I got a, but I 
had actually given, I had remembered a few years ago, I had given a talk on conflict and something similar happened. And I had remembered that point. Oh, when that, if anything like that happens again, make the existing conflict in the room the focus, one focus, so that we can explore how to work with a conflict in the moment and not just talk about it. And so I had that consciousness in Jerusalem and several people afterwards said they learned much more from watching me interact with this person than in anything I said. I didn't take that as a put down of what I said. <laughs> right. And so anyway, so what we're looking for are the underlying needs or values beneath the positions. That's what we're looking for. So think of your own conflict, whether it's an inner conflict or an interpersonal conflict. Is there a way that you could apply this model to the conflict? And especially think or reflect what's the underlying value or need on either side? Sometimes it's easier if it's an interpersonal conflict. You can think what's really important for this person? What's important for me? <laughs> okay. And so that's a really crucial question to to ask. <laughs> well, thank you. Should I hold it? Or I could I think I'm especially concerned about the recorder. Um, um, it's getting a little too red, I think. <laughs> and I have to deal with its recording ability or it's plugged right into the mic. Should be okay, yeah. Okay. Okay. Are you okay holding it? Or should we ask if someone else to hold it? It's a little bit better if someone else holds it than I hold it. What'd you say? It's a little bit. Would anyone, uh, anyone okay holding the umbrella here? I could do that. Okay. Yeah. Good. Okay. I think we're okay. It's interesting that the rain is occurring on the only Wednesday in the last 20 years in which we've met outside <laughs> in September. And how, how, is, how is there a conflict here? See, we're responding creatively to the conflict, you see? I'm trying to find a way to meet my need 
to be less wet to protect the recorder. I'm actually replenishing my water. <laughs> and we've brought out we brought out compassion. Okay. So that's the second resource. Did you have a sense of how to apply that to your own conflict? Look for the underlying needs. We get caught in the positions. That's the core message of this approach. Okay. Thank you. Okay. The third. Okay, really, very suddenly, the rain has stopped. Okay, the third resource that I brought in is a very key dimension. The third resource is that of bringing in further the heart practices, and particularly, in particular, I brought in last time the uh, practice of empathy. Empathy is such an important resource for. <laughs> empathy is such an important resource. Thank you for your empathy. <laughs> That's been occurring a lot, you know, this tuning into my experience. Um, and so empathy is a fundamental capacity for those wanting to be skillful with conflict. When I studied conflict with a teacher named Johann Galtung, he said that um, the two fundamental capacities of a mediator or peacemaker are empathy and creativity. Those were both uh, crucial. Right? And empathy is a natural capacity, as we looked at it last time, and I've talked about it at times, a natural, innate capacity to tune in to usually understood as others' experience. And uh, uh, the scientific research shows three kinds of empathy. Empathy in which we know someone else's emotions. Empathy in which we know what's meaningful for someone, a little more cognitive dimension and then empathy on the level of the body, where we actually see someone walking or jumping, and we're told that the mirror neurons in our own brain walk and jump. <laughs> it's interesting. We actually mimic what we see another doing. And so I developed, uh, or actually my colleague, Warren Sofer, I think, initially developed, and then we further developed it together. We teach wise speech retreats together. We developed an empathy practice, because I think I don't, yeah. still drops? Yeah. I think we're, I think there are no more drops, so thank okay. you. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Let's see how it goes. Okay. <laughs> this, this umbrella was on a three-month retreat before yeah. I got it. That's great. So I don't feel any drops, but. Thank you, sir. Unraveling. Okay, still. This is still happening. That's good. Okay, thank you. I hope those listening on Dharma Seed will. We should have a video to accompany them. <laughs>
appropriate to talk that uh, we're meeting outside and there's been unexpected September in the Bay Area rain, which generally we like, but made things a little more complicated, but given examples of how to be skillful with unexpected conflicts. Yeah. Have okay. resources. Yeah, develop resources. And so um, this empathy practice, very simple, and then last time I gave a handout, and I'll put the, these handouts also maybe on the website. Uh, I gave a handout for empathy practice in which one of the handouts, and I think I have some extra ones here. Oh, no, I didn't bring them today. Um, I had a, on the handout, had on one side a list of emotions, quite differentiated, you know, like 40, 50 different emotions. On the other side, uh, what are called in the discipline of nonviolent communication needs, which are universally valid needs for values like shelter, nutrition, freedom, you know, uh, freedom, autonomy, self-expression, and so forth, that are taken to be universal. And this helps us with our empathy practice because we, uh, the form of practice that I that we did last time, was we tried to tune in to uh, a person's emotions and just feel one or two emotions. And then we also tried to tune in to what mattered for the person, right? And so I, I gave the example last time of me talking for a minute or two. I'll do that just for a minute right now. I'll, I'll talk and you listen empathically to me and have a sense of what um, just one or two of my emotions are and what, uh, what matters to me. Again, we're thinking that the important mm -hmm. distinction there in terms of needs were that needs are distinguished from strategies. The needs or values are universally valid like nutrition, shelter, freedom. We use different strategies to meet our needs. The strategies may be very unskillful, or they may be skillful, right? I uh, gain my security by, I don't know, protecting my home. I also may gain my security by, um, you know, having an oppressive police system, right? Or, you know, what's a, another unskillful way of gaining my security? being really paranoid about my neighbors or something. You know, that might be what I'm doing. It's actually I'm bad-mouthing my neighbors or something, right? And so, you know, the classic example that I've given of an unskillful uh, strategy and a skillful or a, a valuable need, an alcoholic wants peace, very, very valid, unskillful strategy, right? typically. So crucial distinction. So listen for my emotions and listen for my needs. We did this last time. This is a very simple practice that you could do in daily life. Okay, so what should I talk about? Well, one day I gave a talk at Spirit Rock and it was raining unexpectedly and we were outside. So I'll talk about um, what just happened. And I was, uh, actually didn't find myself that concerned and I appreciated the creativity. I knew that I could sit out in the rain for an hour and it'd be okay, but I hoped that it would not get in the way of the talk too much. You know, so I was, had some emotions, but mostly felt kind of balanced. Okay, cut. What, and you, what emotions did you hear? Gratitude. Gratitude. Huh? Ambivalence. 
some equanimity, surprise. surprise. There's a little frustration. Concern. I think, huh? Concern. 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 Right. So you're all tremendously empathic. Feels really good to be heard. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then what? What mattered to me? Uh, yeah. What? And let's go to a more universal need. The talk is what? Competence. Yeah. <clears throat> Maybe being skillful and doing the talk in challenging conditions. Yeah, taking care of the situation, meeting the needs of the people, uh, maybe having the talk more, you know, the the teaching occur, the learning occur, even with challenging conditions, right? Anything else that occurred to you? Huh? Discomfort. <laughs> Being comfortable, yeah, you know, having, protecting the recorder, uh, and so forth. So, um, which is still happening. And so, that, that's empathy practice. That's something that one can do in a very everyday manner with people at the grocery store, in any conversation. It's a really tremendous practice. And when we develop it, then we also can apply it to conflicts. And last time I asked you to take a conflict and maybe think of it, and you can do it right now, think of a conflictual situation and then bring to mind your sense of what is the underlying emotion that you have, what needs are there, and then what's the underlying emotion for the other person, and what needs are there. And you can, if it's an inner conflict, you can, can translate, right? And one thing that often happens, we did that last time, and we, the, one of the ways we did it was we, I had a, um, had people take a piece of paper and make a grid with four quadrants and put your own emotions in the upper left, the other person's emotions the upper right, your needs in the lower left, the other person's needs in the lower right. You can do that with any conflict. It's extremely illuminating. One of the things that we often find in conflictual situations that are kind of stuck I, it often happens, I don't know if anyone found it last time, is that actually the emotions and the needs are exactly the same on both sides. That starts to make a difference. But of course, this is valuable because in conflictual situations, empathy goes out the window. Right? We get locked into positions or views. Right? And so <clears throat> empathy practice is fundamental in conf conflicts and not easy. You know? And so I think it's very helpful to practice the empathy more in situations which aren't so hard and let the empathy get better, stronger, so that you can use it in more difficult situations. So I like to just practice empathy just uh, when I'm listening to someone or in an ordinary conversation. If you want to really do semi-advanced practice, do it with telemarketers. <laughs> And the empathy, you know, empathy can be more of an inner practice where you just tune in in the way that we just did. And it can also lead to ways of connecting empathically through, through speaking. So the fourth resource that I wanted to look at, and I'm, I have less time than I had planned on for, for different reasons, <laughs> um, 
The fourth area was looking particularly at getting attached to one's views. And this is a really fundamental area as well. And I mentioned it in the first area, you know, our inner resources. And in a way, it's a, a subset of the first area. But it's particularly valuable because one of the most um, significant difficulties and conflicts is that one gets locked into a view, even if it's an inner conflict. One gets stuck in one's thinking. One gets stuck and caught in a particular view. It can be a judgmental view about the other person. It can be a negative view about the scenarios that will happen. Think about the conflict that you brought to mind at the beginning. See if you can put your view that's connected with the conflict into one sentence, one brief sentence. Often the, the sentence might be, if it's an interpersonal conflict, you know, he's really messed up. <laughs> right? And that can be a very strong view that we that we have. Anyone like to share a view that you uh, in one you know one sentence that you notice? Just say the one sentence. He doesn't understand or can't relate to my experience. He doesn't understand my experience. He can't relate to my experience, right? And we and with the views, of course, we repeat them over and over again. And it actually makes empathy very hard. And it also makes it harder for us to actually notice what we're feeling in the moment. Another another view? He shouldn't be doing that. He shouldn't be doing that. Right? He shouldn't have done that. Others? He's taking advantage. He's he's taking advantage of the situation. Yeah. Others? She could have handled it differently. She could have handled it differently. And, uh, and again, we, we also want to notice when we look at the views, what's the tone of voice? Right? One of the things I've noticed in teaching a lot on wise speech is that people can practice and have really, really skillful sounding speech. And if the tone of voice often betrays what's there. Right? And so we want to look for the, t the tone of voice. And you can imagine the tone of voice. And then feel free to have that tone of voice be there. One or two more examples. What? And he's judgmental. And say it with a judgmental tone. Okay. <laughs> okay. He, he's judgmental. <laughs> we each are going to have our own tone, right? Our own way of saying it. He's really judgmental. <laughs> I don't know how people can be so judgmental. <laughs> okay. So, we have the rain coming back. Okay. Yeah. So just have it so it's not covering here. Okay. I think that's good to cover as well. Yeah. Um, we can do my hat.
and it's meeting many needs. Okay. So how to work with um, how to work with one's views and um, I may next time I I was going to go into uh, attachment to views is a very important part of Buddhist practice teachings of the Buddha. Right, but I won't go into that so much. Um, and I think what's tricky is that often our views have some truth to them or something valuable. This is what we look at with the judgmental mind. How do you navigate not being attached to views when the view may have something valuable and something truthful? There may be some ethical problem, right? And uh, there may be, you know, many, you know, maybe there is some issue with the person's behavior. We can still be very stuck with a view that has some truth to it. And that's the, that's what we have to navigate in skillful work with views. It's not always easy, right? In, in a way, it's working with a conflict. The conflict could be framed as, I have some truth, and then I express things reactively with attachment, <laughs> right? I don't know, is that, uh, is that the conflict? Have I expressed that accurately? Or maybe it's, maybe it's more, I, ha I think I'm correcting myself. I have truth and I have the right to speak reactively. silence, right? Some kind of, there's some kind of inner conflict that we're actually not even aware of. Something like that. And so what we want to look for, is there a non-reactive way to speak one's truth? Is there a non-reactive, empathic, compassionate way to speak one's truth? That's what, that's, that's a clear marker. That's what we're looking for. And so I think I'll just speak initially uh, about some ways of practicing. The first is to really be aware that there's a strong view. And I should actually, one thing, one conflict I have is that the protective layer is also covering over my clock. <laughs> 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 Who would have thought that so many conflicts could emerge? <laughs> Thank you, Mother Nature. This is just really bringing out complexity. And here we have creativity. Another, <laughs> another timepiece comes to the rescue. And I'll put it under. It's waterproof. It's waterproof, I'm told. <laughs> okay. It's 300 meters. So just quickly, a few ways to uh, work with, uh, to work with, oh, a little more rain coming. <laughs> a few quick practices. One is be really aware that there's a repetitive view. That's the, so that's mindfulness. Be aware that there's a repetitive view. Make a note of it. Be on the lookout, especially if there's a conflict, that the very likely possibility is that one will just repeat the view, the attached, the attached, the view to which one is attached over and over again. Okay? So be aware of it. Secondly, and you can even give a label to it, uh, use your meditation, give a label to the view where there's attached where there seems to be attachment. Secondly, if you can, as we were saying earlier, explore what the counterpart of the view is at the level of the emotions and the body. Okay. 
really feel. And then what that partly does is it can go into the emotional and even physiological energy connected with a view. That starts to work through the reactivity that can be there often with the view. Thank you. A second practice is to take any attachment to view as a starting point for inquiry. This is a practice I learned a long time ago. Whenever I would notice a difference of view with another person, I would say, oh, let me inquire into this rather than just think I'm right. Is there something I can learn from this person? Uh, particularly maybe something like a p difference of political views, or e but even in a conflictual situation. Let, let the difference in views and my attachment to views be a starting point for inquiry. I can also do the empathy practice. Very crucial. Can I actually feel what is maybe beneath the other person's view or the other person's experience? So the empathy practice be similar to what we did with the uh, four quadrants on the sheet. Can I do empathy practice with the person I have difficulty with? And we might not be ready to do that. We may need to uh, do that at a later point. There may be so much frustration or anger that empathy just isn't happening. Right? And let's see, we can also, let me see what my, my other practice is. Um, we can bring in uh, empathy. We can also bring in compassion and have some sense of the difficulty of the situation. All of this softens the polarization that's so common in conflicts. And we can, we can look into them. So maybe I'll leave it for there. I had some other practices I could give, but maybe I'll just leave it for there. Together, these give us four areas of resources for being skillful with conflict. First, the whole set of inner practices, mindfulness, working with difficult emotions, the heart practices. Secondly, working with the both-end model to move us away from sort of either-or ways that conflict is structured. Third, empathy practice. And fourth, paying particular attention to our views. Again, there's more we could say there, but because of time, I think I'll stop and leave things for any uh, questions or discussions. And maybe before that, let me just invite you each to um, see what may have been helpful from our exploration. And is there something that you want to take further, maybe in your own conflict or more generally? What do you want to take out of our morning session uh, so far? And then let me invite any reflections or questions or comments. And I think I, I'll repeat them. Uh, so if you can be on the brief side and then I'll repeat any, any reflections. Anyone like to share anything, ask a question? The other option would be to come up and use the mic. Yeah. 
Yeah, so a really a reflection on hearing an interview with Ken Burns, who's done a lot of documentaries, including on the Civil War. And it was on KQED, so presumably you could find that, and talking about how conflicts are often structured in the binary ways, pretty much the same point. I always use the word dualistically. And say he was really pointing to, to how, how to move out of that, right, towards some way of having uh, a sense of being together. And this is, you know, that for me, this is one of the main responses to the current political situation. It's actually how can we actually have discussions that are bridging and that are based on hearing and empathy. Not everyone's interested. You know, I was thinking my colleague in Israel named Stephen Folder, who was here and we taught on conflict in May here, he, for at least 10 years, conducted sessions of having uh, Israeli Jews and Palestinians in the West Bank uh, talk together and hear each other. And I've, I've been with other people who really suggest that as uh, to take a major initiative to do that in our culture right now. Again, not everyone's interested, but a lot of people are. You know, and how can you cr talk across boundaries and positions? And again, the principles are simple. They're a lot of what we looked at. So the, the, these capacities are deeply, deeply needed now. And we should have, you know, I don't know, go around the country. I w don't know if I'd present it as how to be skillful with conflict. <laughs> but that'd be a part of it, you know. And I've, I've heard people who have been trying to work out some of these initiatives. Yeah. How to work with defensiveness in oneself? How to work with defensiveness, especially in other people? <laughs> okay. Um, with a lack of interest in engaging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a hard one, yeah. And I think, um, I mean, the humor can point to one way to answer the question. Study yourself when you're defensive. What is the experience of the person who is defensive? And typically there's going to be some sense of not feeling safe enough for various reasons. Uh, and so I think some kind of empathy could be a starting point, right? What is the deeper need of the person who is being defensive? And it could be for a variety of reasons. It could be uh, because that's the person's long-time conditioning and habit, right? That when there's a conflict, the person becomes defensive or stonewalls, doesn't want to talk, right? And that can, for some people, that's a long-time habit and the conditioning. And sometimes they might need some, a really safe learning situation 
to explore something different. So you can have some compassion sometimes, you know, and uh, so I think so you have to maybe assess where is it coming from. Empathy can help there. What matters for the person? And uh, sometimes offering just to listen to the person empathically and I'm not going to say a thing can sometimes be a way to have some movement. If you, if you can make the offer, you know, I just want to listen to you and I may not agree with you, but I want to really listen and hear your perspective. And I, I, I agree to have a time when I do that and I don't say a word. Of course, I'd like you to do that with me too, but I don't. <laughs> I may not even ask for that, right? Because what you're looking for is, um, you know, th this is where the model is helpful because the model, that person is using avoidance, right? Which is more skillful than being negative and aggressive with each other. But if you think of the model, uh, the way Galton talked about it, there's actually what he called a peace diagonal that goes from avoidance to compromise to both ends. And all you want to do is have some movement in that way. And so some movement where even you have a compromise where you don't get your what you really want, but you're willing to give a little bit, like say, I'll listen to you and don't even ask to be listened to. That can sometimes have some movement. So I think empathy and being flexible and, and, and doing the inner work with your own judgments, of course. Yeah, thank you. It's a really important question. Please. A little louder? Or? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm having a little trouble hearing because of the rain happening right now. And, uh, you know. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so really offering a lot of helpful perspectives, particularly looking at the context. Where is the relationship right now? What is this relationship capable of, right? And where are their limits? One of the things which we may sometimes do if we really get enamored of the both-end model, we may go there too quickly. Sometimes, you know, and I think a lot about uh, um, South Africa. Uh, moved, it took them three years to move towards the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. It needed time and healing before they were real ready to go into the painful territory, right? And so being aware of the trajectory of the relationship, how hard the material is, what the capacities are, both in myself and taking the example of one other person and the other person, you know. Yeah, can I? Yeah. 
can the situation really permit a both-and resolution? And maybe the most it can handle at the time is a compromise. That might be the case sometimes. So we want to try to be realistic as to what's possible. That's hard, right? It's, it's not easy. So thank you. Well, what are my views on relationship <laughs> in conflict? Yeah, yeah. So I think, but really, uh, what I'm what I'm getting from what you're saying is particularly the uh, need to uh, see clearly where the relationship is at what the capacities are, mm -hmm. and what's possible in this moment, mm -hmm. right? And uh, so really hearing, and I, I know in my own experience, I've been a mediator sometimes, mm -hmm. in my own experience, it becomes very intuitive. Yeah. And I, I, I personally love that kind of work, you know, because I'm, I'm taking both ends as the North Star, mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, can't always get there, and you look for what's possible mm -hmm. based on the realities of the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Anyone else before we finish up? Maybe last one. Yeah. Um, recently, my niece and her fiance came to visit me in their mid twenties, and my family on the East Coast are very, very conservative, and so, but they seemed a little more open. So we were kind of talking about the environment, but not really intensely. Just not knowing where they were, and um, her fiancé said, I'm not quite convinced that uh, human beings have anything to do with uh, global warming. And I found myself wanting to So, so I'm sorry we don't have that recorded, but a really uh, wonderful story of being with uh, relatives. Were, were they from the Midwest, did you say? Oh, no, no, uh, Connecticut. <laughs> the, the East Coast, right? The East Coast. Yes, sadly. Um, yeah, from the East Coast and getting into a discussion of environmental issues and having someone say, you know, I'm not really convinced that humans are responsible for uh, climate change, and noticing the tendency to react and say something that would be more polarizing, and choosing a strategy, uh, probably quite intuitively, to see, you know, to find a, a way, I'm putting uh, my interpretation here, but to find some common ground, right, and meet on the common ground of both really loving the earth, and, and finding a way to connect around that. And so, and, and actually navigating it um, in that way. So that sounds, sounds very skillful. And um, yeah, I, I think those kind of discussions are really crucial for our, our country and our communities 
to have those and, and to be in those maybe who have looked into some of the issues we've talked about today, in some ways take the lead on opening things up, right? Because so to avoid the pol just the simple polarization of views. And I'll just end with a story that I experienced something like this. Um, I think it was uh, I think it was 2001, I believe, in the summer. I think it was that year. It was right before September 11th. And I was part of a, a retreat that was held in New Mexico at Los Alamos Laboratory. And we were, in a way, uh, bearing witness to continual building of nuclear weapons, but we were having a retreat. We weren't doing public speaking. And it was quite remarkable. Uh, I don't know if it would be possible after September 11th to do it, because they, 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 uh, they gave us access to the grounds. And we, we actually meditated on the grounds most of the day, nine to five. They gave us a parking lot where we could have a meditation retreat. And but they said you can't use any of our bathrooms. <laughs> Apparent conflict. We resolved that by renting a forty foot RV that had a bathroom. And so and it also um, wasn't part of the original thinking, but it also provided very good shade <laughs> in New Mexico. And so, but we sat there, and we would have, we were permitted to have lunch in the cafeteria. And so we had lunch, all, we had about 40 of us, and we went into lunch, and every day we met with the uh, people who were the scientists and technicians building nuclear weapons. And then uh, in the evening we compared notes, and it was interesting that some people got into really polarized discussions with the people there. And I, I know some of us, including myself, mostly just wanted to listen. And they were very, they were very interesting. And very quickly, for a lot of them, they went into their views of why building nuclear weapons was a good thing. And it was interesting to listen. And so that listening permitted, you know, some way of dialogue going on. I don't think that I gave a lot of my views there. Uh, but there was something that happened from the listening. So we could also spend the whole morning on listening. But that listening, being willing not to be too tight with one's views for the purpose of connecting with another person. Right? So there's a lot there. So again, the invitation is to keep these capacities going. And you know, we'll see how many would like to continue these kind of this kind of theme uh, maybe next time. So I'll, I'll take that in mind. So let's just finish with uh, uh, inviting. Thank you. Thank you, Mama Nature, <laughs> for providing some real life ways of dealing with conflict. And may we offer the benefits of our time together. to the earth and to all beings connected with the earth. So, thank you so much and thank you for your creativity and being with the rain and being skillful with conflict. Okay.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.